Open your Bibles in 1 Corinthians chapter 2. 1 Corinthians chapter 2. Our text for this morning will be verses 1 to 5. I have titled this message, Proclaiming the Wisdom of God. 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 1 through 5. In the Palestine Hill Museum in Rome lies a very interesting piece of art called the Alexamenos Graffito. It is a Roman graffito scratcher in a plaster. This graffito was found by the mid of the 19th century. And it dates back from the year 280. It is one of the earliest known pictorial of the crucifixion of Jesus. In it, there's an image of a human-like figure affixed to a cross. This human-like figure has the head of a donkey. In the top right of the image, there's either a Greek letter Epsilon or a Tau cross, a cross that is in the shape of the letter T. And to the top left of the crucified human-like figure with the head of the donkey, there's an image of a young man that looks like a Roman soldier, raising one hand in a gesture possibly suggesting worship. Beneath the cross, there's a caption written in Greek that says, Alexamenos Sebatai Theon, which means Alexamenos worship his God. Probably indicating that the graffito was apparently meant to mock a Christian name. Alexamenos. That was the spirit of the age in the second century. Now let's go back to the 21st century. We don't see much of a difference environment. Former University of Oxford science professor and scientist Dr. Richard Dawkins does the same by mocking religious people and especially Christians. From all around the world. He gathered thousands of people. Have encouraged them. To mock and ridicule. Christians. Wide openly. Many scientists today. Psychologists. Philosophers. Even professionals. Such as engineers. Doctors. Lawyers. Judges. And many others mock mock Christians for their faith. Many of these people boast in their academic achievements, in their own personal success, in their so-called human wisdom. Many believe that of their sophisticated reasoning, high academic profile, and their so great human wisdom, They are unique 
and above anyone or anything else. Here in the first four four chapters of Corinthians, Paul addressed a very similar problem with the Corinthian church. There were divisions in the church in the name of human wisdom. And Paul exhorted the, the need of unity among the brothers and sisters of the church of Corinth. In doing so, Paul made a clear contrast between the so-called human wisdom and the wisdom of God. The city of Corinth was just 45 miles down Athens, which was the center of Greek philosophy, art, music, medicine, sports. And human philosophy and human pride, lack of love, and exalted human wisdom were at the center of the problem of the church in Corinth. In this section, Paul emphasized that salvation is in Christ and not in the wisdom of men. And because Christ, the power of salvation and the wisdom of God, is the source of men's salvation, men have no basis in boasting. In the first chapter, chapter 1, from verses 10 to 17, Paul addresses the problem of the church. Church members were taking sides with some of the church leaders. In verse 12, we have some people exclusively following the teachings of Paul. Some others were following the eloquent and competent man in scriptures, Apollos. Some others were following Peter. And some others were following the teachings of Christ. Paul exhorted the church for unity and instruct them on the perfect wisdom of God, which is far superior than human wisdom. And from verses 18 to 25, Paul contrasts the human wisdom with the true wisdom, the wisdom of God. Notice how Paul referred to the wisdom of God in verse 25 in chapter 1. For the foolishness of God is wiser than man. Here in the Greek, that word foolishness is moria, where we got the word moron. Practically, it means foolish, stupid, nonsense, idiotic. Paul is not saying here that God has any foolishness or that God has any weakness. He used what we call an hyperbole. Paul wants to make an emphasis in the wisdom of God. And that emphasis is this. That even the smallest, the least, the most insignificant thought of God is greater than all human wisdom pulled to all together. In other words, what is, what is the foolishness in the eyes of the world is the absolute genius of God. In verse 18, Paul said, For the word of the cross is folly to those who are perishing. The message of the cross is foolishness to the lost. 
The message of the gospel makes no sense at all to the unbeliever. The crucified Messiah was a stumbling block for the Jews and a folly to the Gentiles. But for the believers, it was different. Verse 24 in chapter 1. But to, who, but to those who are called, the elect, those who are efficacially called, both Jews and Greeks, Christ is the power of God and the wisdom of God. The Lord Jesus Christ is the summary of the perfect wisdom of God. All source of true knowledge and true wisdom are found in the person and in the work of Jesus Christ. Not only the message of the cross was folly to the man, but also there's a group of people was classified as the foolishness of God. Who were those? Verses 26 to 31. The believers in this particular context, the Corinthian believers, but by practical implication to all the believers, you and me. Not many of these Corinthians were on the intellectual philosophical class, nor of the political powerful, nor of the upper levels of the society. It was totally the opposite. Notice verse 27. But God shows what is foolish in the world to shame the wise. God shows what is weak in the world to shame the strong. Verse 28. God shows what is low and despised in the world, even things that are not, to bring to nothing things that are. Who are these fools? You and me. The believers. We are the nobodies, the weak. But beloved brothers and sisters, you need to know this. That in the perfect plan of God, before the foundation of the world, God shows you. God shows me. To shame the strong. And for what reason God did this? Verse 29, chapter 1. So that no human being might boast in the presence of God. Because man cannot save himself, God saved other men using the weakest vessels, you and me, in that process. For what? So God can take all the glory. Soli Deo Gloria. And that leads us today to our passage. Chapter 2, verses 1 to 5. Please follow along as I read. And I, when I came to you, brothers, did not come proclaiming to you the testimony of God with lofty speech or wisdom. 
For I decided to know nothing among you except Jesus Christ and him crucified. And I was with you in weakness and in fear and much trembling. And my speech and my message were not plausible words of wisdom, but in demonstration of the spirit and of power, so that your faith might not rest in the wisdom of men, but in the power of God. Every Christian is a herald of the king. We proclaim the good news of our beloved Lord and Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. Here in 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verses 1 through 5, the Apostle Paul will give us three essentials that we need to know in our proclamation of the wisdom of God. Three essentials in the proclamation of the wisdom of God. The first essential that we need to know, it is the centrality of our proclamation. The centrality of our proclamation. Verses 1 and 2. And I, when I came to you, brothers, did not come proclaiming to you the testimony of God with lofty speech or wisdom. For I have decided to know nothing among you except Jesus Christ and him crucified. Notice how Paul started on verse 1 here. When I came to you, brothers. Here Paul is referring to his first trip to Corinth. That is recorded by the medical doctor Luke in Acts 18. He was there that Paul met Aquila and Priscilla. Ten makers by trade. And Paul worked for them for a while when he was in Corinth. Paul spent 18 months preaching the gospel in so much opposition there in Corinth. But many of them believed in the gospel and the church of Corinth was planted. Paul continues, I did not come proclaiming to you the testimony of God with lofty speech or wisdom. Here, both ESB and NASB has the word testimony with a superscript. You'll see in your Bible, indicating a textual variant. The word used here in the Greek New Testament is mustodion, where we have the English word mystery, I believe. This is a word Paul uses here due to the external evidence in a very trustworthy early manuscript, P46. And if you notice in the immediate context in verse 7, Paul uses the word again. But we impart a mystery and a hidden wisdom of God. This mystery of God is this, in this specific context, is referring to Christ crucified. This mystery was one hidden from the ages, but it is now made plain in the Lord Jesus Christ. And Paul came preaching this mystery of God, a message not fully understood by them before, but, but now explained by Paul and illuminated by the Holy Spirit. And notice also the manner of Paul, proclam- uh, of Paul's proclamation of the gospel at the end of verse 1. I did not come pro- proclaiming to you the mystery of God with lofty speech or wisdom. 
These ancient Greeks of the first century were obsessed with human philosophy. They were obsessed with eloquent speakers. They were obsessed with human wisdom. The Corinthians were boasting in their sophisticated methods and in their so-called great human wisdom. Why Paul did not accommodate to the culture of the time? Why Paul did not come with eloquent words? Verse 2. For I decided to know nothing among you except Jesus Christ and Him crucified. Literally from the Greek text, for I did not decide to know anything among you. This was the centrality of Paul's proclamation. Paul lived for one thing and one thing only, and what that was for the Lord Jesus Christ. He did not care about the eloquence. He did not care about philosophy, human logic, reasoning. Why? Because he had already decided not to know anything else besides Jesus Christ and him crucified. The message of the cross. Not only the life of Christ, but also his death. Notice the immediate immediate context, verse 18 in chapter 1. Again, for the word of the cross is folly to those who are perishing, but to us who are being saved, it is the power of God. Verse 23. But we preach Christ crucified, a stumbling block to the Jews and folly to the Gentiles. Later on, in chapter 15, verse 3, Paul wrote that Christ died for our sins in accordance with the scriptures. That was Paul's message. This doesn't mean that Paul did not teach something else. Oh, my beloved. Paul was a great theologian. And he preached the whole counsel of God. And we can see in his letters and in the book of Acts. But the epitome of Paul's teaching was the cross of the Lord Jesus Christ. Paul was resolved to proclaim the death, the burial, and the resurrection of the Lord. Specifically, his death. Death by crucifixion was a form of execution by the Roman Empire reserved to the worst criminals. It is like today's the electric chair or death by lethal injection. The criminal was suspended in the air, nailed to a cross for hours, sometimes for days, in order for him to die a very slow death. They were, they were half naked. Hanging by the arms. Onto the pectoral muscles. Were paralyzed. 
that the intercostal muscles were unable to act. At the same time, bleeding till death. It was so barbaric. It was so inhuman. Then the Romans exhibited all these crosses in the main highway towards Jerusalem to humiliate all these victims. And of course, to make their point, don't mess with Rome. The Lord Jesus Christ was treated as a criminal in the cross. He hung in that cross for three hours and he received all the wrath of God that you and I deserve. Jesus Christ, the Son of God, the Son of Man, lived a perfect life that you and I never lived. For what? For our sake he made him to be sin who knew no sin so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. It's in that cross the Lord Jesus Christ was reconciliating sinful men with a holy God. It's in that cross the Lord Jesus Christ was mediating between God and man. He was in that bloody cross that the Lord Jesus Christ purchased a people for himself. Jesus Christ was the perfect sacrifice that pleases and satisfies the wrath of God. In that cross, Christ died a vicarious death in place for sinners. As Paul reminds us in Galatians 3 verse 13, Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law by becoming a curse for us. For it is written, Cursed is everyone who is hanged on a tree. Sinful men's greatest problem is that we are not righteous. We are not just. Therefore, we need the righteousness of God. And only the message of the cross can resolve that problem. When a guilty sinner repents and believes in the person and the work of the Lord Jesus Christ, God justifies the sinner. That is how God declares guilty sinners to be righteous on his side by graciously imputing our sin to Christ and imputing Christ's righteousness to us. A gift that we receive apart from any works by faith alone, by Christ alone, by grace alone, for the glory of God. Christ is the only hope for salvation. 
outside of Christ, we are without any hope at all. My question to you this morning, my friend, where do you stand next to this cross? You don't come to Christ in your own terms. You don't come to Christ with your human wisdom, with your human logic. You come to Christ by the way of the bloody cross. There's only one way to heaven and a million ways to go to hell. Only one way. As a herald of my king, listen to my king. I am the way, I am the truth, I am the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. And there is, no, there is salvation in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. Christ, Christ alone. Solus Christus is our way to salvation. Come to Christ this morning. Make Christ the Lord of your life. Don't waste any other day of your life without Christ. This was the centrality of Paul's proclamation. And this should be the centrality of our proclamation as well. Notice the second essential that we need to know in the proclamation of the wisdom of God. The second essential is the method of our proclamation. The method of our proclamation. Verses 3 and 4. And I was with you in weakness and fear and much trembling. And my speech and my message were not implausible words of wisdom but in demonstration of the spirit and of power. The least thing we can say about Paul is that he was a weak man or a man of fear. Here, weakness referred to someone of lack of confidence or feeling of inadequacy. Paul did not come with lack of confidence because he knew he was coming with a powerful message. Paul was a bold preacher, not because of his abilities, but rather because the content of the message. Nevertheless, Paul was not a coward man. He was a man resolved for Christ and the message of the gospel. Paul came to Corinth after being beaten and imprisoned in Philippi, run out of Thessalonica and Berea. And scoffed in, in Athens. He came with so much opposition of the gospel in all these cities. And there he goes Paul again. Preaching the gospel in these cities. 
I believe that the fear and much trembling that Paul is referring here is that he knew he was going to a pagan city like Corinth. A city that was morally corrupt to the extreme. And he was fearful that the people there will reject the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. Paul was not going to compromise the message of the cross to these Corinthians. That love so much clever speakers, great philosophers, and eloquent debaters. Notice verse 4. And my speech and my message were not implausible words of wisdom. Here the word speech, or in the NASB, my message, is the Greek word logos, which means the word. The Greeks were obsessed with this particular word, logos. Why? Because for them, it meant the divine reason, the mind, the human wisdom, especially the human wisdom. And that was their idolatry. And Paul came to them, not with their logos, rather he came with all the logos. Which one? Chapter 1, verse 18. For the logos of the cross... For the word of the cross. Not only with my logos, with the word of the cross, Paul said, but also with my preaching. Here the word for message or preaching has, a, has an idea of a public declaration. Someone who proclaims allows something. Like a herald of a king. What Paul is saying here is that the content of his message and the act of his proclamation didn't come from human wisdom. Paul did not accommodate the message to the culture. Like the church of the 21st century is doing today. Paul did not preach based on their zip code. Or what the culture wanted. Paul did not use those methods. Paul could easily go door to door and manipulate everyone. He knew how to reason with the Greeks. He was a Roman citizen. He knew how to talk to the Jews. He was an expert of the law. Paul had great natural abilities. He could have had a wider range and more receptive hearers if he wanted to. Hey, Paul, just don't talk about that bloody cross and the forgiveness of sins. That's not good for the audience. But Paul preached it anyway. Paul's preaching was not like the preaching of the 21st century. Most of the pulpits in churches today are in spiritual coma. Great buildings and sound programs, but not true and clear preaching of the whole counsel of God. Paul was determined. Paul did not relay In any pragmatic methods. Rather. 
Paul relayed in other methods. And of verse 4, in contrast, Paul's message came in demonstration of the Spirit and of power. Why did Paul have so much confidence on his method? Because he knew that sinful men are dead in their trespasses and sins. That sinful men without Christ hates God. That the natural man doesn't want to be safe and cannot save himself. Notice a few verses down, chapter 2, verse 14. The natural person does not accept the things of the Spirit of God, for they are folly to him. And he is not able to understand them because they are spiritually, spiritually discerned. Men have several problems. Men don't want to be saved because they reject the gospel. And men cannot save themselves because of their inability to grasp the gospel. They are helpless and hopeless. And Paul knew that. Paul knew that. Paul knew that in order to do God business, he had to do it in God's way. Paul was a man of God. And he had to use God's methods, not man's methods. What was his method? Please turn to me to Acts 17. You're going to love this. Acts 17. This is so awesome. Here is Paul in Thessalonica. Pastor Shane went through this already. Notice Paul's uh, methodology. Let, let's start from verse number 1. Chapter 17 of the book of Acts. Acts 17 verse 1. Now when they had passed through the Amphipolis and Apollonia, they came to Thessalonica where there was a synagogue of the Jews. Verse 2. And Paul went in as was his custom. And on the three Sabbath days, he reasoned with them from scriptures, explaining and providing that it was necessary for the Christ to suffer and to rise from the dead and saying, this is Jesus who I proclaim to you is the Christ. Paul reasoned with them from where? From scriptures. Turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 15. This is the last one, I promise. 1 Corinthians chapter 15. Paul is here in the great passage of the resurrection of Christ. And notice once again, Paul's method. Verse 1. Now I will remind you, brothers, of the gospel I preach to you, which you receive, in which you stand. Verse 2, and by which you are being saved, you hold fast to the word I preach to you, unless you believe in vain. Verse 3, for I deliver to you as of first importance what I also receive, that Christ died for our sins in accordance with scriptures. 
And that he was buried, that he was raised on the third day in accordance with the scriptures. Over and over you will see this mythology in the life of the apostle Paul. All over the scriptures. Paul reasoned with them from the scriptures. Paul knew that all those sinners were dead and in need of spiritual life. Therefore, he came with the true wisdom of God and preached a message that could give them eternal life. Paul came in a great display of spiritual power because of the work of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit works always together in harmony with His Word. And Paul relied in that power rather in the wisdom of man. That's where the power is in the Holy Spirit. Using its word. My beloved brothers and sisters, this is the method of our proclamation. We preach the gospel from the scriptures and we reason with them from the scriptures. We preach the message of the cross with confidence knowing that the Holy Spirit is at work and is powerful. We proclaim aloud the good news of our King with boldness. And we cry out like the Apostle Paul, For I'm not ashamed of the gospel, for it's the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes. Many Christians don't preach the gospel because they don't know how great it is the power of God. My dear church, the word of God is the most powerful force in the entire universe. Use it. Preach the gospel in the power of the Spirit. God is in the business of saving sinners. Did you know that? We as the church of God and disciples of the Lord Jesus Christ are commanded to go into the world and preach the gospel to all the nations. We're being commanded to make disciples of all the nations. This is God's master plan for mankind from eternity past. Beloved, we are plan A. And there's no plan B. We can rely in the power of the Holy Spirit to save sinners. Why? Because only God's Spirit and power could deliver them from sin and bring them to Himself. And why God does this? That will lead us to our third essential. In our proclamation, let's go back to 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 5. Not only the centrality of our proclamation, not only the method of our proclamation, but notice here in verse 5, the reason of our proclamation. 
the reason of our proclamation. Why we do this? Verse 5, so that your faith might not rest in the wisdom of men, but in the power of God. If the Corinthians have come to have faith in the wisdom of men, even in Paul's wisdom, they might have changed a few things in their life. But they will not have changed spiritually. The faith spoken here with a definite article in the Greek is not the act of believing but the substance of their belief based on the person and the work of the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. In other words, we can paraphrase this, the Christian faith. So that your Christian faith might not rest in the wisdom of men, but in the power of of God. And why God wants our Christian faith to rest in Him and His power. Why? Because that's the power that saves you from sin. That's the power that saves you from Satan. And that's the power that saves you from hell. But most of all, that's the power that saves you from God himself. My friend, you need to be saved from the wrath of God. I need to be saved too. My beloved brothers and sisters. Man cannot be saved by the wisdom of man. Man has failed to earn their salvation through false religion, through human philosophy, and human wisdom. Salvation is in Christ and not in the wisdom of man. Because Christ, the power and wisdom of God, is the source of man's salvation. Men have no basis for boasting. And if you want to boast, like Paul said, let the one who boasts, boast in the Lord. Salvation belongs to the Lord. Psalm my family in the Lord proclaim the wisdom of God that is found in the person and the work of our Lord Jesus Christ. Be a faithful Christian. Be a faithful disciple of our Lord Jesus Christ. Preach the word. Be ready in season and out of season 
For the time is coming when people will not endure sound teaching, but having itching ears, they will accumulate for themselves teachers to soothe their own passions and will turn away from listening to the truth and wander off into myth. This is the time now. Right now. Oh, the message of the cross is so offensive to this culture. Preach the gospel. They may call you a fool. They might think you're crazy. Some of my many friends, they think I'm crazy. Proclaim Christ anyway. Be resolved like the Apostle Paul. If they find a graffito of you worshiping a crucified Messiah 2,000 years from today, and beneath of that cross, there's a caption that reads, here is blank, your name, worshiping his or her God, I know many of you won't have trouble with that. Maybe you will smile from heaven. Maybe Alexa Menos did. For many, it will look ridiculous and perhaps foolish. Yes, it may seem foolish to many. But the foolishness of God is wiser than man, and the weakness of God is stronger than man. As the hymn says, All the mystery of the cross, that God should suffer for the lost, so that the fool might shame the wise, and all the glory might go To Christ. Christ is the true power and wisdom of God. My beloved church, my beloved brothers and sisters, and speaking as a church member of faith, the church should not be divided by human wisdom. Instead, The church ought to be united around God's wisdom in the proclamation of this glorious gospel. We are one in Jesus Christ. And we are one in fellowship with the people of Christ. For the glory of God. Amen. Please stand. And let's finish with a word of prayer and a song. Maybe you're here this morning. And you're thinking, who is this fool with this foolish message? Talking about a crucified Savior. My dear friend, 
If that is you, you need, the, you need this message of the cross. For the Bible said, For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God, and that there's no one righteous, not even one. And just as it's appointed for men to die once, and after that comes judgment. And the wages of sin is dead. If you're here without Christ today, you have a serious problem. As ambassador of my king, listen what he said and listen what he offered. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. And he also said, whoever comes to me, I will never cast out. My friend, you must repent and believe in the Lord Jesus Christ. Christ. If you confess with your mouth that Jesus is the Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the death, you will be safe. Make him Lord of your life. He's a great Savior. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word. So rich and clear. Thank you for your wisdom. So perfect. Oh God, how deep are the riches and the wisdom and your knowledge, oh God. Our finite minds cannot even comprehend the totality of your wisdom. Make us preachers of this glorious gospel. Help us to proclaim your wisdom to this dark world. Thank you for this opportunity. And bless all my brothers and sisters here in Faith Community Church. What a faithful church. Bless them. Thank you for the cross. And thank you for the Lord Jesus Christ. Not to us, O oh Lord, not to us, but to your name give glory. En el nombre de Cristo Jesús. Amén.